So yeah, really going to carry on um, where, we've, where we've left off. Welcome, by the way. My name's Steve. It's, it's great to see you um, with our kids and teenagers out. We've got a, a chunk of empty seats there, but it's great to see you guys there. And uh, welcome this morning, whether you're here for the thousandth time or the first time. There's no special prize, but you're really welcome. Um, this week, we're beginning our week of prayer and fasting. We start each term with a week of prayer and fasting. There's such significant times for us. And again, even just with the, the sense of what God's been saying this morning, we, we really uh, believe uh, that this week is, is of real high importance. We had an afternoon together with the elders team that lead the church on, on Friday, and it, it kind of threw everything upside down, really. In fact, I had some very nice notes for this morning uh, that are now no good. Uh, they're really good notes, actually, but they, they've been spoiled for this morning. We've got a greater prize we're chasing after. And this, this week, in this week of prayer, a year out from 2020, if you're new to us, forgive us talking about 2020 already. What, have you got the year wrong? What's the matter with you guys? Now, we, we believe God's spoken some things over us regarding the year 2020 that are of such importance that if we don't start something now in God, in faith, uh, then we ain't going to get there. And so this week of prayer really is of such importance. Tonight, uh, 7.30, prayer and vision. Uh, then we're encouraging you this time, this week, in your small groups, um, if you're not in a small group, come and see one of us. We can help you connect with one this week. Uh, but praying together in small groups, we've got some guides that will go out. Uh, we'll restart our, termly, our, our, our weekly Thursday morning prayer meeting this Thursday, 7 a.m. up in the prayer room. Uh, and then next Friday, we'll gather here at 7.30 for a couple of hours to pray, to worship, uh, and to really press through together into what God's doing and saying. Come with fresh faith. Come and, come and find your place uh, in the things that Jesus is calling us to do. Uh, we talked a lot about fasting. We're really encouraging those of you who can to, to fast. If you're, if you're sick or on strong pills that mean the doctors say you have to eat, uh, that's me at the moment. My plans have been scuppered. Um, okay, keep going with the other disciplines in prayer that you've promised before the Lord that you're going to go for, but, but don't be unwise. But if you're able to fast, then go for it. Miss some meals. If you're fasting for the first time, just try a meal. Uh, and uh, No, in fact... That fasting is not just not snacking in between meals. Um, although for some of you that might be a start, um, not mentioning any names. Um, but uh, try missing a meal. Try setting aside some time to pray. If you fast more regularly, yeah, take a few days. Even take the week like I know some are. Uh, and let's see what the Lord does amongst us as we trust him in that way. I know it's hard uh, when you're, if some of you with young kids racing around, having to prepare dinner for kids when you're fasting. It's really tough, isn't it? Did you want to say anything about that or... No, it's fine. It's just hard work. I was just asking Kaz. Um, let me encourage you to go for it. There's no, there's no uh, burden on you. Um, I know as well in this day and age where we're, we can be mastered by technology and pressures on time for many, cutting out things like going on the internet, uh, Facebook, social media, um, those kinds of things that can become distractions. There are all kinds of idols that pull us and pull in our appetites. One of the joys of fasting is that we get to turf out all those other appetites that would seek to master us and rediscover the primary appetite that we were made for and created for, and that is to know and love with our whole hearts Jesus Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I, I find that the taste uh, of my relationship with Jesus is altered somewhat when I'm snacking on other lesser things. Oh, there's a beautiful taste. Will you, will you taste and see... Jesus, we sing that old song sometimes, your name is like honey on my lips. 
Your name is like water to my soul. Church, let's stop snacking on lesser idols. Let's run wholeheartedly after Jesus Christ. So however you shape your prayer and your fasting this week, can I encourage you to position yourself uh, to hunger and thirst after more of God? Have I been heard? Great stuff. Um, I'm still not really sure what to do this morning, which is a bit frightening. Um, in one, I've, got, I've got a flip chart from what we did with the elders on Friday. Not really for your benefit, because you won't understand any of it. It's our scribble. Um, but really, just for me, so I've got some notes. Um, so uh, in one sense, I feel like the things that we're heading into have been a lifetime in preparation in my heart, and I know for some of you as well. Uh, I was remembering early this morning, I was uh, um, just writing down some new notes that I've now thrown away, um, remembering uh, reading recently in a new Churchill biography, he told a friend at school, age 16, that his destiny was to one day save London and England from an enemy attack that would overwhelm us. He told a friend at 16, he had such a sense of his destiny. Churchill was in his late 60s when he finally became Prime Minister uh, in the first years of the war. Uh, and then lived out his destiny. But, but as you read the biographies of, biographies of Churchill for all his boasting, and he had some things to boast about, everything that he did in his life was lined up in order to bring him into this one destiny that he believed he had, and that was to one day save his country from an overwhelming enemy threat. We have some incredible promises in the kingdom of God, and uh, as we shared them last week, uh, and some of these 2020 promises goals uh, that pull us into line with the, with the, the, the tidal pull of the kingdom. Um, yes, we're aware of our weakness, but yes, the other side of the coin is there are some things in faith and obedience that if we believe this is our destiny in God, there's some stuff that we're going to leave aside and there's some, some, some stuff that we're going to take hold of. And this morning is a little bit about that. I'm not going to do it all. I'm not going to try to do it all. In fact, I'm still processing, as you can tell, much of it myself right now, but I believe already in the things God's been saying, there's some things that he wants to pull us into uh, as we head forward with faith. The 2020 goals that we've talked about, um, let me just give them to you starkly. Um, you never can tell in the plan of God where simple steps of courageous obedience might take you. We've said in the year 2020, we are wanting to believe God to be able to give away £60,000 we're wanting to believe God to pray for healing for over 1,500 people. My heart is outside of the church. Um, we're praying for faith to believe God that we might see 140 people baptized, saved and added into the kingdom and into the local church. We believe, we're praying for faith to believe God to plant another church, to be involved in another church site, um, to be involved in those kinds of things. Um, we're believing God for the privilege, not of losing people, but of giving away more leaders, people who plant churches, people who go strengthen other churches, start new works, pioneer things. Uh, we're believing God for faith and clarity about the next phase of developing this church site in our building project. And we're believing God, uh, what we called Feed Crawley, but what we now recognise actually is wider than just feeding people, as important as that is, um, but for the development of outstanding mercy ministries that, that serve and provide and care for a broken and needy town and beyond. 2020 vision, or as Dave Swan would tell us, it's not a vision, they're goals towards the vision. Thank you, Dave. Just make sure we get that right. 
Um, that's what we're going for. My good notes have been put aside. Um, I, I realised on Friday as we were, we were talking, let me just give you a little tantalising glimpse of the kind of scribble. I'll just, uh, I'll just give you a... There we go. It's going away again. That kind of scribble. Because um, you'll just be looking at that and trying to work out what does he mean by that. Um, I might open it up in a few moments. I may not. It may just stand there all morning and you'll think, why, why did he even get that out? Um, and it'll just trouble some of you that don't like that kind of thing. Um, that's good. It'll be like an itch you can't quite scratch. I'm, I'm glad to have helped you this morning. We realised as we were talking and praying on Friday with the elders team that all these 2020 goals really put those aside for a moment, what we're talking about, the kind of world that we will inhabit and see if those kinds of things are being worked out amongst us is what in the UK we would call revival. It's actually what we call New Testament Christianity, normal Christianity. Um, and we, we realise, of course, that that, that kind of uh, Christian experience outworked in normal towns and cities like ours in, in the UK right now is completely unprecedented in our day. I've been reading revival stories and biographies since I was a small boy. I grew up in the Salvation Army, which was a movement pioneering uh, beginning in uh, birth in revival. But in, in my 47 years, can you believe it? In my 47 years, I, I've, I've never seen genuine revival in this country. I've heard, I've read the stories, I've seen the history, I've spoken to people that have been in it in other nations, I've been to other places where things are happening, but it's completely unprecedented in our day, this kind of New Testament Christianity, where it says in Acts, and we're going to preach through Acts from uh, starting next Sunday, probably through the year, on and off, where it says in Acts there was, for example, when Philip went down to Samaria, there was great joy in that city. When Kaz and I finally were able to move into Crawley, five years ago to pick up leadership of this team and this church, there wasn't great joy in this city. In fact, most of the city didn't even know. Uh, when Philip went down to Samaria, oh, there's great joy in the city. Why is that? Because something of the normal uh, high watermark of Christianity was breaking out. And so we read phrases like, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've been praying for years, Lord, would you add to our number monthly those who are being saved? That's a great prayer. I'm, I'm not knocking that kind of prayer. As we push towards 2020, we're praying, Lord, monthly, may it one day be weekly, may it one day be daily, those who are being saved. If we're going to walk towards those promises, they're the kinds of prayers that we're praying. That's the kind of vibe we're talking about. Friends, we're talking about revival. Um, there are some steps we can take, um, but ultimately, I guess the question for me and for you is, are we going to be those kinds of disciples? Those kinds of disciples, as Tracy and others have been prophesying this morning, are we going to stay in our fallow fields, or are we going to take hold of God and believe him um, again for these greater things? Um, ultimately, that's what we're asking God to help us with. I've never lived that way before. I've never done these things before, on that scale before. Something has got to happen in you and in me if we're going to get anywhere near this stuff. It's got my attention. I trust it's got yours too. Uh, these are urgent days. I think Tony was saying that earlier. And in urgent days, urgent action is needed. Urgent people need to take up their destiny and live for Jesus. So this stuff has got to happen here. It's got to happen here, actually. In my heart, in your hearts, it's got to happen here in these rooms as we gather. It's got to happen in our small group life together. It's got to happen with our kids that are down the corridor now 
got a great team making disciples of our children. We want children who are discipled for revival, not discipled just for some memory verses, although we don't knock that at all. It's got to happen amongst our teenagers, who again are being discipled for the same reason down the corridor. If, If something's going to happen out there, it's got to happen in here, in here first. We've commented so many times, and as we pray it too, there are over 100,000 people within five minutes' drive of this building who don't know their need for Jesus. They don't want to know Jesus. They're not hearing our message. Church, we cannot keep on as we are. I had the privilege yesterday morning hosting here a breakfast with five or six of the other, uh, 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 other churches in Crawley, uh, talking and praying together, working with some of the ministries that are greater than just our local churches. We recognise we can't just keep doing what we're doing because it isn't working. It's not because God isn't good. It's not because he hasn't blessed us. We're very grateful for all he's done and for where we're at. But something has to change if we're going to walk into and inhabit these greater kingdom promises that surely disciples like us are called to live in. We can keep doing up our buildings. We can keep getting slicker. Uh, We can be cooler. Uh, You can have a hipster pastor. If only I could grow a beard as long as Joel Baker's. Uh, We can wear skinny jeans and iPhones. All those things may help us to an extent. But something has to change of a more profound nature in us. Kaz and I have been reflecting again. I think when when we took the decision before God to tear ourselves away from the church family where we've been serving prior to coming here, we felt in our hearts, not in any sense of boasting, but if, if there's one reason why we're going to come over to Crawley and start all over again, and we started all over again a couple of times in church planting and then coming down south, and it's a painful process every time. If we're going to tear ourselves away from something that's good, something that we love being in, um, pull our kids away in their teenage years, God, we're only going to do it if we're coming for a promise of revival. That, that's, that's the only reason why. Um, and, and for you as a church, some of you have been around the last four or five years who received us. Um, any transition that's been painful at times. People, we love one another deeply. Uh, and the, the, the change of getting back on track again is a painful process with good people in a good church. And we, we've not been through that together just to be a little bit bigger or a little bit more contemporary, or a little bit more switched on. We've been through that together, us coming to you, you receiving us, because God has a far deeper work, a far greater work, these revival promises, because he wants to see the whole community around us saturated by the presence of God. Like Churchill, age 16. Friends, it's the one thing we're here for. I don't know why you've come this morning. There are many good reasons to come and be part of a church family. There's all kinds of care and love. None of these promises mean that we're going to stop caring for one another, loving for one another, serving one another. All those things are very important. But they may all be important reasons why you're here. But the one reason we're here is because uh, we want to see the community around us saturated by the living presence of Jesus Christ, transforming us and transforming society. So these 2020 goals, they don't really matter in one sense. Um, what they describe, the, the culture behind it, is a church that's living in revival, a new community, uh, people of Jesus Christ. If in our hearts we're not becoming those kinds of people for all the good things we can do and we will do, we won't really get there. Do you know what? Even if we tick some of these goals off by our efforts, but if we're not truly in revival that starts in our hearts, I, I don't think we can count it as 
success. So this prayer week uh, with the elders, just a little uh, tantalising glimpse again. Everything that we do, all the structure of church life, all our discipleship, our small groups, the way we run church, the way we run this church centre, the way we operate out of our base uh, revive shop and cafe in town, our ID ministry with those that struggle with mental health challenges, our kids' work, our youth work, our, our jungle tots, parent and toddlers group. I mean, every single ministry that we prize is shaped in order for us to become a people who touch and taste revival. That's, that's what we're doing. It's time, yes, week of prayer. We cry out to God in our weakness. That was our message last week. Yes, there's a brokenness in us. Man, I've, I've been awake at night this week. I'm so aware of my inadequacy. If you think I'm the kind of leader um, that can get us through to this through my sheer force of will, then we may as well pack our bags now and go do something else on a Sunday morning. We're not going to do it that we cry out to God in our brokenness and our inadequacy. But we have hope in some promises that are so beyond us. And uh, I think that kind of attitude triggers a response in our Heavenly Father in the same way that um, a, a young baby's cry will get a mother out of bed in the middle of the night and across the landing in the cold into the baby's room. Something is triggered in the heart of a, of a mother, a parent, a mother, actually. Um, Dad says, oh, they seemed to sleep well last night. And she says, you're having a laugh, aren't you? Um, there's something that's triggered. A mum can hear that frequency. And we have a God in heaven who said over the people of Israel when they were in, um, uh, before the Exodus, when they were in slavery uh, in, in Egypt, I've heard your cry. I know your soul. I recognize your brokenness. I have come to deliver. There's something triggered in a people who, yes, are weak. Yes, are broken with humility before God. But yes, are saying, God, we're hoping in greater promises. Something is triggered in God's heart over such a people. That's how we're going to pray this week. We've seen something so beautiful, so amazing in his kingdom promises. We are like those who've, uh, Jesus told the parable, the treasure hidden in a field. Uh, And it says, the man who found the treasure hidden in the field, went away and he sold everything else he had in order to be able to buy the field and possess the treasure. I think the next parable on from there is the, about the pearl of greatest price. man who sees a pearl. It's so beautiful. I must have it. It's worth having and it's worth selling everything else I have in order to have this one thing. Friends, this one thing that we sell everything else for, we trade everything else for, all our organisation and planning is honed towards. This one thing is to see the glory and the splendour of Jesus Christ break out and transform us and our society around us. That's the kind of people we're called to be. All the uh, stuff we've looked at through, through the autumn, from the summer, really from when Biro was with us from Brazil, so provoked by his prophetic story of his life and their church. And we began to ask the question in the autumn that God asked of Moses, what have you got in your hand? We asked the questions, what have you got in this house? Uh, those questions really are about positioning ourselves for revival. What I'm trying to get around to speaking about this morning, I think, um, in, in these words, is about positioning ourselves, about, I guess I'd use the word, stewarding some revival promises. We're saying, God, here we are with what we have in our hands, with the, the little that we have, um, and, and now can we do some things in faith in order that we might trust you for the greater things. The, the Bible's full of stories where God seems to work that way. Where God says, I'm revealing myself to you. 
I'm going to whisper a promise in your ear. And then if you believe me, you're going to do some things in obedience. So Abraham, leave your father's house. You don't know where you're going yet. There's a promised land, but you don't know where that is yet. But I want you to leave and be obedient in traveling until I tell you more. So Abraham in faith goes. Noah is told to build a boat in a generation. If we read the scriptures right where it's never rained, the Lord sustained the earth in other ways. And here's a man in the desert building a boat. It makes no sense. He doesn't really know what rain is. He doesn't know when it's going to happen but he hears a promise from God and in obedience he begins to take structured action. Physically, something is structured around it. Moses with the tabernacle there in the desert on the way to the promised land. God gives him very specific, precise instructions for building the tent of meeting where God is going to come. Moses probably didn't even know fully at that point that the very same fire that he had encountered privately in the burning bush years before, would now come down in this tabernacle and inhabit uh, amongst the entire nation of God's people. But some specific steps of faith and obedience that got in there. We could go on and on. Joshua, walk around the wall of Jericho seven times, blow your trumpets. Did he have, uh, he, he, God promised the walls are going to fall down. Did Joshua really believe? Well, he did what God asked him to do uh, and God came through on the promises. The promise we looked at um, back in the autumn with a widow with her little bit of oil. And the prophet said to her, just keep pouring the oil. And so she kept pouring and the pots kept being filled. When God speaks, when God gives a promise, he requires from his people, from disciples like you and me, some specific acts of steps of faith and obedience. I was reading early this morning, Hezekiah, one of the great kings in 2 Kings 18. In fact, I think there it says, uh, yeah, 2 Kings 18 Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him amongst all the kings of Judah. That includes David. That includes Solomon. We don't talk much about Hezekiah. The Bible says, the word of God says, there's no one like Hezekiah. Greater than David. Greater than Solomon. Either before him or after him. Here's, what Heze- here's why. It, perhaps here we see, for us today, this is very important. Listen closely now. This is why we see the Lord measures Hezekiah so highly. Why was Hezekiah greater? He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. (laughs) Wow. Let that be a lesson for us this morning. It says, he kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. So all Hezekiah did was receive a promise from God and then he held fast to God. He trusted him and that trust was worked out in, in daily obedience in the things that God had given him to do. He was ready for the day when he would stand against an impossible Assyrian attack, an army that would overwhelm them, that besieged his city. Uh, And yet, in that time, he believed God for what no one else had seen. He was broken down. His people were broken down. Even in his prayer at that time, he acknowledges his weakness. Yeah, what the Assyrians are saying and doing, it's true. They're going to overwhelm us, but I'm hoping in you, Lord. Wow. God gives specific steps for us, even into the New Testament, the disciples watch Jesus ascend into heaven. We'll get there in our Acts series in a few weeks' time, I, I'm sure. Um, at end of Acts chapter 1, and Jesus has told them, go wait in the city until you receive the promised Holy Spirit. And so these disciples, they've been given a promise by God, something's going to break out, they're going to carry the gospel apparently to the ends of the earth and the end of the age. They look at themselves, they think, what, us? Just as you might look around this morning and, and, and look at this and say, what, us? And you're pinching yourself. These same disciples carrying this same 
kingdom promise looked at one another, but then in faith and obedience did what Jesus had told them to do. They began to position themselves. They began to steward the revival promise. And so they went and waited in the upper room, just as they'd been told to do. Afraid, confused, outnumbered, but obedient, praying and exercising faith. Wow. So a people ready for revival are weak, but very hopeful um, in these impossible promises. We say, yes, Lord, we'll do whatever you say. I think it was Mary, wasn't it, when uh, Jesus was just beginning his ministry and, uh, and uh, they ran out of wine at the wedding. You know that story, the wedding at Cana. And uh, Jesus says, no, don't, don't bother me, Mom. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready yet. And uh, Mary, his mum, turns to the, uh, the stewards at the wedding. She says, do whatever he tells you. Okay, Mary, uh, Mary, no, we're not Catholics. Uh, let me try again. Jesus would turn to us today <laughs> as stewards of his promise. The kingdom's about to break out, just as it was at Cana, the first sign of the kingdom, it says. Jesus would turn to us today. He says, do whatever I ask you. Do whatever I tell you. What's our response going to be, church? What we do matters. Yes, we're weak. Yes, it's impossible. But we, we don't just wait, hope it's going to fall into our laps. That's passivity. That's laziness. It's hidden hope. Okay? Faith and obedience, stewardship. Uh, we mentioned Noah earlier. I've been looking this week in, uh, again, over the last few months at Joseph, the amazing story of Joseph from Genesis 37 onwards. It's an important story. A lot of chapters given over in the scriptures to, to uh, that story because there's richness for us there. Um, at one point in Joseph's life, he's brought out of prison because he's known as someone from in the jail, um, as a man who has a prophetic gift. He can interpret dreams. Pharaoh, the ruler of all uh, of Egypt, has a dream that's troubling him. Uh, in the end, no one can interpret it. They pull Joseph out of jail. Can you handle this? And she says, no, the, it's the Lord who interprets dreams, the one true God. And so Joseph then interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's had these seven fat cows coming out of the River Nile, followed by seven thin cows coming out of the River Nile. And I think there's seven fat heads of corn, uh, crops, uh, and then seven thin uh, ones uh, that come afterwards. And of course, if you know the story, maybe you're hearing it for the first time today, that, that's fine. Joseph said, I, I know what the Lord's saying here. He's saying there are going to be seven years of plenty, uh, but there are going to be seven years of terrible famine. So Joseph had a strong prophetic word, but he then had to take action to steward and administrate and prepare for what was coming. And so, as we've said, in our church structure, um, in everything that we've got in our hands, with our finances, with our proclamation of the gospel, uh, with our desire to see people heal, with our plans for the building, with our development of leaders, with all the next places that we believe God calls us to push into, we position ourselves... Yeah, we've heard something with a prophetic gift. That's really valuable. We've got a clear sense of what God wants to do uh, and that God is going to do it. Um, but we don't sit back and wait for it to happen. We take hold. Genuine faith comes with action. Um, it comes with some instructions which demonstrate um, that we truly believe God even though it seems impossible. God's given us a pathway. He's given us some discipline which we can act on. And so in the Joseph story, this gift of administration, he then says, so what you need to do, Pharaoh, as a result of bringing the interpretation 
So he uses the, the spiritual gift of, of prophecy and discernment, but then he uses the spiritual gift of administration, a highly prized gift from the Holy Spirit, and says, Pharaoh, not only is there going to be a famine, but here's what the Lord says you need to do. You need to get a wise man. You need to set him over all the government. You need to begin to store up and build storehouses all over your nation so that you can store plenty, so that in the years of need, there'll be food to distribute. There was a, without the gift of administration, people would have marveled at the word. In fact, in seven years' time, they'd have said, yeah, Joseph was absolutely right. What a man of God. What a prophet. Wow. Oh, we're really hungry. The gift of administration comes alongside that, and the two work together. Um, and we're at that point here, church. We're a year out from the beginning of 2020. It's time to position ourselves, to steward, to take some steps. Not just to dream, not just to prophesy, not just to say, thus says the Lord, these are greater things for us to pull into. Yes and amen, but now what do I do about it? How do I position myself? What steps do I take? What do I do with what I have in my hands? Can I hear an amen, please, from anyone who may be agreeing with me? Wow. I don't know how revival start. Maybe we'll get Danny to tell us some more. You've lived through revival. We'll be back in Brazil at the end of this, this month with a new ground team. Uh, Kaz and I with Danny, Jim Partridge, James Hunting from, from Crown Church Hillingdon, just strengthening those relationships with, with Biro and with others, some of the churches that are looking to, to, uh, to work with us in, in new ground. These are guys that have lived in revival. They've seen revival. I've now been to some cities and preached in some churches where they've had genuine revival. And you see the impact that it has um, on the people and the legacy that goes on even beyond the, the kind of the, 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 the waning, the, the ebb and flow of the revival. I don't know how they start. And sometimes I guess it is bold men and women of God who seem to be carried through by their own gift. William Booth, the Salvation Army founder, was probably one of those, those guys. Sometimes you find that it seems to be that, that uh, God takes gifted men and women and just opens things up way beyond the sum of their parts. Whitfield and Wesley would have been examples of that. Sometimes it's ordinary people, like you and me, praying, believing, stewarding the little they've been given. Usually the first steps in stewardship are, are prayer. There's a lot on here behind that sheet about prayer. What a week of prayer we've got ahead for us. The 1859 revival in Ulster, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, James McQuilkin, young man, and a handful of his friends gave themselves Friday nights through the winter of 1858, 1859. They said, we're just going to pray every Friday night. They put peat on the fire, P-E-A-T. Um, this wasn't some, <laughs> wasn't human sacrifice. Um, they put peat on the fire. It says they prayed till their hearts burned. They, they said they had one, McQuilkin says in his biography, they have one prayer. And that was that God would pour out his spirit on the dry ground. And they kept on with that one thing. People refused to come to their meetings because they just prayed about the same thing over and over again. But McCorkin said, we would not be distracted. This is the only thing that matters, that God would pour out his spirit on dry ground. And so night after night, through the winter, 1858, 1859, in that farmhouse in Kells, after, I can't remember, two or three months, the first person got saved by the end of the year across Ulster. It was ablaze with the gospel. 100,000 people conservatively saved and added into the church. The church is alive again. It began just with a focus of prayer. So to these goals, and, and perhaps just a couple of, of steps we can take this morning. I'm not going to go through them all by any means, and you're nervous if you think I'm going to do that now, because there are seven of them, and we're only in this room for another 10 or 15 minutes. 
Um, just to, uh, in the weeks and months ahead, we've got lots of other time in these kinds of Sundays and in our prayer meetings to, to speak about and to catch God's heart on some, some faith-directed stewardship steps of obedience. Um, I think we saw on Friday with the elders that all these goals here, they're, they're hugely interlinked because they're all about the kingdom and they're all about New Testament Christianity and revival promises. Uh, it's about a generosity with finance, about a generosity with the gospel out of my mouth and your mouth. Um, it's about a generosity in giving away leaders, giving away people to plant churches or to start new church sites or to begin ministries, all out of a heart to give away the most important treasure that we've received, the good news of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's actually remarkably a very coherent plan, and for that we give God all the glory and boast in him. Um, so let me just touch on a couple before we stand. I'm going to call you to stand and, and, and pray. I, I think two of the big ones, really, two or three of the big ones, are stewarding our hearts for generosity with our finance. It's a biggie for us, particularly if you've grown up in the UK church. We've not done finance so well. A New Testament people are generous with their money. Nothing's their own. God supplies what they need. We're going to hit it time after time as we preach through Acts. Um, this 2020 goal gives us an opportunity to bless others significantly, more significantly than we've done before as a local church, and in doing so, to pull our hearts into line to become these kinds of disciples that we read about in the, in the scriptures. God wants to shape our hearts. Joseph spent seven years building storehouses and filling them. What, I've been asking the question, what does a storehouse look like for us? Let me just tell you, uh, again, I can only give you my own example. Kaz and I have been talking and praying a little bit over the last few months. We've had a bit of a head start on you guys because I've, I've been kind of scratching my head about this since the, since the summer. We were just wondering if, if giving away £60,000 might mean, might mean, in part, that we have a big gift day at the end of the year 2020. Might have some big heap offering. That would be amazing. It would be really good to participate in that. But like the rest of you, probably like us, most of us, if, if I get to a month before a gift day at the end of 2020, we'll just look at what have we got and I won't have much to put in. It'd be a disappointment. It'd be a real shame. I could put something in, but like most of us, we don't have great resources to throw in. So we decided before God, we're just going to start putting some money aside now, already actually. We've opened a separate account. We're putting in an amount on, on payday before I spend it. Kaz is very good at saving. I'm much better at spending. It's a great partnership. Um, although God's doing something new in you. Yeah, that's dangerous. Um, <laughs> well, maybe he'll do something with me at the same time. Otherwise, we are in trouble. Um, so I'm paid. Otherwise, we do that, don't we? If I promise it to God, but then I think, oh, but God, the washing machine's broken, the car's making a knocking sound. Um, all those things, they begin to pull back on what we promised to the Lord. So on payday, it goes in. It's just a small step of discipline. Uh, the amount doesn't matter. I'm not telling the amount. It's a small step of discipline, but it's done in faith. It's not just about doing discipline. It's, it's done with faith in mind. So that if we get to a gift day at the end of 2020, and I don't know if we'll have one yet, but I'm just getting ready in case. Um, if not, I'll have the most amazing holiday. <laughs> no. um, uh, yeah. So that when we get there, oh, we'll have something to put in. Well, we can say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for the privilege of giving over and above, super abundantly more than we would otherwise have done. I was praying with Joe a few months back, and Joe just 
stopped me in my tracks uh, again. We were just dreaming and imagining. He said, imagine uh, 20 months before a gift date, 100 people putting 20 pounds a month aside. I said, yeah, that's great. Joe's maths is better than mine. He said, that, that's 40,000 pounds. Imagine, we want to give away 60,000 pounds. We're already giving away some money every year anyway. But imagine just the power of a generous community that have caught the passion to serve the kingdom of God. 20 pounds, 20 months, 100 people, 40,000 pounds. That may not be how it works for us at all, but it just gives us an idea of what it's like for a community of believers who don't consider even our money is our own. It's all come from God. And so we're going to steward our resources with open hands. It's his anyway. Um, we, we don't store up in order to hold to ourselves. We store up in order to give out. We don't worry about tomorrow. We live for Jesus today. We don't count it loss when our fingers are prized off a fiver any more than we count it loss when we release a Joe and an Amy to go and lead a church somewhere else in a year or two's time. None of it is lost because God's done something in our hearts that makes us a New Testament revival people. There's fruit from our small seeds. So Kaz and I are putting some seeds away. I was reading about the parable of the talents um, where Jesus uh, tells about a, a, an, a ruler, a master, who gives different amounts of money to three uh, guys, asks them to steward it. Uh, two of them invest it well and have a return on the master's money, and they're rewarded. One of them is afraid of the master, buries it in the ground, gives him his money back, uh, but he's not rewarded. Um, actually, that parable is more about the return of Jesus Christ. It's more about our whole lives being invested. It's not specifically about our money, but there are some principles that remain true for us here in that story and in the scriptures. What I have in my hands now, I'm going to offer it up to you in faith, Lord. What I have in my hands over what we've, all we've done in our little step of discipline is say, Lord, over the next 20 months, what, what we've got in our hands, what comes through our hands financially, we want to invest it in the kingdom, trusting that you will increase it, multiply it, grow this seed 30 times, 60 times, 100 times as the Scriptures say. Just to help you make the point today before we stand and pray. Tim, can you help us? I'm going to take the unprecedented step of sending round the offering baskets and I'd like to ask you to take some money out, please. It's not a gimmick. It's true. Trustees are now... I'm not catching any eyes of trustees. Um, I'd like to take some money out. Um, please take a pound. Okay. It's real money. It's not chocolate. <laughs> not chocolate coins. I'm deadly serious here. Listen, Michael, if you need it, take it, please. God bless you. Seriously. If, if you need to spend it, if, if you're going home today and you haven't even got a loaf of bread in your house, please take the money. What we're giving you today is a kingdom seed. What I'm asking you to do today, tonight, this week of prayer and fasting is to ask God, God, what do I do with this coin and what it represents? I want you to take it home. If you've got kids at home, pray with your kids. Pray as a family. I want you to pray with me. God, I'm offering up what I've got in my hand. Uh, and this coin represents what I have now and all the other finances and resources that will come through my hands over the next few months. And I want what's burning in my heart to be reflected in what I give out of my hands. I want to encourage you, if God's speaking to you about it, to do something like what we've done what we've begun, to open your own storehouse with your pound. Again, the amount you store up doesn't matter. No one's looking or judging or measuring one against the other. We all have different means and different measures in this church family. If you're a guest here this morning, take a pound. If you think, I'm never coming back again, take a pound. God bless you. You're, you're so welcome to have one. 
Okay? If some of you open a bank account with that pound and put hundreds a month in, praise God. If some of you decide, I, I don't have hundreds a month, but I'm going to put it in a tin and I'm not going to buy a coffee once a week and put that in as well. Maybe that's how you talk with your teenage kids or that kind of stuff. But I'm going to come at the end of 2020 and I'm going to have something to offer up to God because my faith has been put into action and I've stewarded and positioned myself for something that looks a bit more like revival. That's what we're asking you to do with this pound today. Why don't you just lift it up if you've got one. I'm just going to pray uh, and then I'll say something else and then pray to finish. Lord, before you in this week of prayer, I haven't got one in my hand, but I'm pretending I have. Lord, we're, we're, I'm deciding to take a deliberate step of faith with this seed that's in my hand. God, you know whether the people holding them up now can take a big step or a small step, but faith is faith. Lord, whether we're trusting you for, to just be able to pay the bills and do a weekly shop before payday, or whether we're worried about our millions of pounds portfolio investments. Lord, wherever we're at, we trust you with this seed. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We're deciding in faith, Lord, small or great, to take steps to see it multiply for the cause of the kingdom. Not so we can boast. Lord, we're settling in our hearts to get today, Lord, with this pound. Lord, speak to people today, tonight, this week. Speak to kids and teenagers. Lord, let it shape us. Lord, let it shape in us this new community attitude of generosity that, that, that in the case of this one pound, it might be true of the tens of thousands of pounds that are to come in the future as we build up a storehouse for the sake of your glory. Amen. You can put it in your pocket now. And uh, please remember it's there. It's the same with the other goals. We'll come on to them at other times, I'm sure. Healing, uh, the prayer for healing outside, the baptism uh, goals. I mean, they're huge they're going to take an enormous change in how I think, how I act, how I behave. Um, I heard a story, let me finish with this and we'll, we'll pray one more time, of the Vineyard Church in Coleraine in Northern Ireland. And they would challenge you when you go into Coleraine. They say, come into our city. We challenge you that it will be impossible for you to come into the centre of Coleraine and to go into a coffee shop or a supermarket and not have somebody from one of the churches in the city, come and witness to you, come and offer to pray for you, or to, to pay for your groceries because they were in front of you in the queue. That's what it's like in Coleraine. I, I heard similar stories from, from one of the towns we're going to go to in Limera in Brazil. Similar stories there, other places where revival has so changed people's hearts that they just, it's just impossible to be there without catching something from someone. And my, my prayer through tears this week has been, Lord, why not in Crawley? Why not through us? And so it's going to mean a change in my mouth, a change in my boldness. It's going to mean that our equipping and our teaching that we do with you is in order to equip you to go out, not just to keep you happy here. And that may, might, might make some people unhappy. But the one thing we're here for, our one destiny, is to make Jesus known. Paul said to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the sinners are mostly out there, although there are probably a few in here. And therefore, all of our equipping in every layer of church life must be in order that you feel confident and bold to share the gospel, to lay a hand on a friend at work rather than just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear your back's not so good. Hey, Ian, I'm, I'm a Christian. Could I, could I pray for you? I think Jesus might want to heal you. To, to have that kind of confidence. Have you got a bad back, by the way? Okay, that's fine. I'll pray for you otherwise. So it's going to mean a change in us. But it's one, again, that there'll be some specific steps of discipline even in the baptism stuff, I, I just, it's just so beyond our experience here in the UK 
church, but we must be pulled into line with the expectation of Scripture for a new community of disciples of Jesus Christ. When, when I first felt God speak to me about this at the end of 2015, I was um, in a prayer meeting with some of the new grand pastors. I was really wrestling over the, the baptism stuff. Nathan Lambert, who leads the, Nathan Lambert, who leads the Paris church, um, came up to me and he said, I need to prophesy over you. God's speaking to you about baptism. You want to scale it down. Don't scale it down. Push through into what he's saying. He said, I see even you building some kind of construction, a new baptism pool. Then he said, does that make any sense to you? (laughs) At that point, I was undone because even that morning I've been saying, God, all these other things, I think we can manage them one way or another, but that I can't do. That outside of your mighty power at work is impossible for me. And God spoke into that very area. Friends, there will be things we do. There will be steps of faith. Like Noah building an ark and then waiting for rain, we may well end up constructing some kind of water container down here that then waits for those who are going to be baptised. But we're going to do some things in faith because we're trusting God for greater promises. Again, that's not a a policy decision that's been made. I'm just sharing with you (laughs) some things that that may be steps of faith and obedience that God's called us to to walk in. Why don't we stand together? I hope you caught my heart this morning. I've kind of meandered around these a little and we'll make sure that we can bring you more clarity and as elders through this term we've committed to taking all this kind of excitable scribble and saying God what does that look like in church life? That's our task as we work with you and with our wider leaders and our teams and our small group leaders. Elders in the church that are in the room, can you just come down the front? I'd love you to just stand with me as we pray. Thanks, guys. Chris and Nick are up in Harrow this morning. Again, part of giving away leaders. Uh, We we, we play our part in sharing, in in serving church uh, uh, planting and and serving churches in Italy. Chris and Nick are very involved in that, and they're up in Harrow serving some of that uh, this morning. Um, Well, I love you guys. you've, You've taken what I thought you would call me to pull back on and say, whoa, don't run so fast. And now I feel like I'm playing catch-up with you. These are men of faith. And they're married to women who've got carrying real faith as well. And so why don't we raise our hands before the Lord before I say something awkward. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love you, Dave. <laughs> Lord, we pray for this town. Just lift your voice. Pray for Crawley. Pray for your street. Pray for your neighbours. Pray for the guys and girls you work with. Pray for your kids that don't know Jesus. Your parents, brothers, your sisters. Oh God. Oh God, we, we love this town. How much more do you love this town? Lord, we give you our lives. Lord, we give you our prayers this week. We are expecting you to speak. Lord, we, Lord, we, we cannot go ahead unless you teach us how to be people that can position ourselves for stewarding revival promises. Oh God, so we... We come to you, we say, speak this week, speak tonight. Speak to us as we pray and fast. Speak for our kids, speak for our teenagers. Oh God, thank you. Lord, we give you our pounds, we give you our mouths, we give you the time that we give for serving. Like Biro's church, we give you an hour or two a week where we say, God, I've, I've got some space, what can I do for the kingdom of, of God? Lord, we, we cry out for the one thing that we can't do and say, Lord, pour out your spirit on us. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Like Hezekiah, we want to be those who hold fast to you. We won't stop following. We won't, we won't let go of the commands you've given us. We will position ourselves for greater things, Lord. It's who we are. It's where we want to be. 
It's who we're going to be. And so we just pray this morning, Lord, if, if there's anything I've said today that helps to open doors in those walls around people's lives that Richard prophesied, into rooms where they've said, no, I've, I've tried to pray for the sick before and I've been disappointed. I've believed God for healing and, and, and my friend died. We, we weren't able to get through. Lord, would you, would you just come in and release people from disappointment? In fact, we repent, Lord, of unbelief, fear. Oh God, we put it down. We lift our eyes from that. Yeah, it's very real. It's very painful. It's, it's quite overwhelming, but we lift our eyes to the one who says, here I am. I'm whispering greater promises. Oh God, open doors again. Lord, I, I pray there be men and women across this church that dare to open the door of sharing the gospel and praying for the sick. Lord, that this week you would just nail it in them, Lord Jesus. Oh, you love them so much. You're going to do it gently, Lord, because it's been so painful. But would you give fresh faith? Yeah, Lord, where there have been fallow fields. Lord, where collectively, Lord, we've been a bit of a fallow field at times. Lord, again, we're, we're not knocking what you've done. Lord, you've done some amazing things for us. We're so grateful for our legacy, our heritage, all that we have now. Lord, many churches in the UK would say, this is amazing. Lord, we, 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 we don't want to compare ourselves to the current climate. We compare ourselves to the new community of the New Testament. And we say, oh God, please, would you transform this fallow field into something fruitful? We believe you've been digging this field. We believe you've been uprooting. You've been causing some mess and chaos in order that something so fruitful and beautifully is going gonna, is gonna to grow. We're imagining that now, Lord. And we ask you, would you use ordinary men and women like us? as we lift our hands to you, as we lift our lives to you. God, help us as elders as we try and uh, put some flesh on these bones in the coming months. I pray for real faith. Lord, would you speak through those that have the gift of prophecy? Lord, would you stir up those that have the gift of administration? Oh God, we pray between us to be a wonderful coming together of the gifts and the grace that comes from the Holy Spirit in order that we might become the people that you call us to be. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for allowing me to go a little over time. Joe asked me earlier, how long do you need this morning? I said, I, I don't know. Um, a year maybe, <laughs> or maybe 40 minutes. So thank you so much. If you're a guest here, uh, please fill in one of our Connect cards. You may see down the corridor as well. I didn't even talk about these. Some of our story cards, some of our get prayer cards. Start filling these in. Pop them in the boxes. We want to get better at recording and sharing what God's doing. Faith will grow. God bless you. Enjoy your tea and coffee. Get your children. Thank our kids' teams. We'll see you tonight at 7.30 to pray. Thank you, thank you.